you go on these days, especially people you meet online, yeah. I'd like fill in the gaps in my imagination and then be disappointed when I met them rather than yeah. taking them as they were. And that was the big difference with, with Ben, because like I said, both of us went into it very little expectation of mm. each other. I was convinced he'd be this lad yeah. who it would be fun for a bit and then that was it. I'd... How good is that? Like exceeding your expectations? I know, I know. Well, I, I just remember it so acutely, kind of the first time we got together, I woke up was in his bed and I turned over to, you know, face the other side away from him, fully expecting to, you know, the excuses to come out, gotta get up early. Yeah, yeah. Um and there's nothing lonelier than mm. waiting for someone to put their arms around you and it never comes. So mm. I was like, I'm not expecting anything. I'm you know, I'm gonna be going soon. Yeah. And he just held me and it was mm. the most loving thing act, I think. And I, I will never forget that. Yeah, and that was just the spark of something really real. Yeah. Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. We're recording at the incredible Wheatwood Hall Hotel Podcast Studio. This is a podcast that goes way beyond stigma. We talk about men's mental health and mindset. We encourage the type of conversation that will open you up to another way to live life, another way to see yourself and the world around you. If you are ready for that, you're in the right place. I'm Stevie Ward and I'm an ex professional rugby league player and captain and now I guess I'm a bit of a podcaster, speaker, actor, writer, entrepreneur. I'm still working all that out but at Mentality we help men take control of their mindset by teaching them to find purpose, resilience and what I believe is the new success, inner peace. That sounds good. If you are that guy who is waking up to the fact that they need to do something different in life and the same old habits aren't working for you, it might be time to step up. If you want to start your journey with us, you can go to mentality.co.uk forward slash coaching to join the best team you have ever seen. Well, but yeah. what do we, I still want to dive into stuff. Family. Family. No, that's a, that's big a great one. one. That's a great one. Yeah. Complex. I mean, mine is. Yeah. And I think most people's are when you dig beneath the surface. Even, yeah. even those who it seems fairly straightforward. I think you know you. Our family is such an interesting, wonderful thing where you have people who grow up together, live alongside each other, and yet have these different personalities but then also similar traits the way we pick up habits the way we mold ourselves on mm. them the way we try to distance ourselves from family and define mm. ourselves it's yeah real emotional roller coaster yeah. is family and it's there's no choice in the matter is it it's, no. it's 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 you're on that you're on that path as we keep saying you're on that yeah path of realizing your relationships and building them damaging them all of those different things that go into it i guess um i'm so lucky with my family and, and you know i think i think i get i guess the the, the relationships within the family have been really managed quite well mm. um by who i don't know i think mm. possibly my mum and dad have done quite a good job of that mm. um 
there's complexity in there. Um, and there was complexity when I was younger growing up because my mum suffered with depression most of her life. And, you know, that's not an easy thing to live with for yourself, but also for your partner and, you know, maybe your children as well. Um, but I think, you know, my mum's so great at creating environments for people and just fully allowing people to feel comfortable. You know, like that's probably one of her top of her lists when unconsciously she probably does that despite her own suffering. Mm. So I think that's sort of a saving grace, um, you know, and I think it probably allowed, apart from when my sister whacked me over the head with a handbag when we were about six or seven. <laughs> That's the only moment that I think... Yeah, these things stick with you. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely stuck with us. Apart from that... Handbag. We, we, it was on holiday. I can't remember where we were. Cyprus or something. Um, first concussion. Okay. Uh, um, oh. But apart from that, like... We, my she's sister, a doctor now. She'll sort you out. Yeah, exactly, yeah. She's, yeah, she's doing the research for it. Um, but yeah, I'm really lucky. Like I'm, I'm so like m me and my sister are really, really close, and that doesn't mean we have to speak all the time. Yeah. Um, but she's just lived with me for six months, and we got through that all right. So that's probably a good test, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm lucky. I'm lucky. She's obviously my twin sister. Um, oh, what's it like being a twin? Any different or? So someone said this to me the other day, like. Oh, it's funny that because you know what you'd look like if you were a girl. <laughs> Someone said that, and I'm like, I've never thought of that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, fucking hell, that's a weird one, yeah. But, but I not, guess it is. Actually, no, it's no, no different to having a sister because no. you're. Um, because you can still have a, the pick of a different genetics and. Well, to go into the science of it, it's uh, two separate cells, two separate ovums. So uh. it's not like so, you have. Yeah, identical twins. That's when the fertilized egg splits in two. Right. So you are identical, yeah. but then you have non-identical twins, which is boy girl, because yeah. you can't have yeah. a split that's yeah. going to be a boy girl. Um, so it's two separate so fertilized eggs. So there's still eggs. a split in there, and yeah. There. And you can't def def definitively say that if I was a girl, that'd be the same. But you look exactly. So if you were a girl, you wouldn't necessarily look like Rachel. Oh, interesting. Sorry, just throw a spanner. Yeah, in that yeah. Theory. Well, that, yeah. I mean, they've worked it out that it's a load of shit. What this person said to me the other day, and I'm glad that I've not thought it for my entire life. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Twins. Um, think it's quite comforting to share share life life's milestones at the same time. Been that's, quite cool. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean. Because, you know, I'm guess we're at the same school, same the, year group. And there's not necessarily been competition because... That's nice. Do you know, it's been the same... Uh, it's been different interests and different avenues that we've taken in life. Um, so, yeah, same school, same... We're always sort of splitting school at the other side of the years and stuff, or different classes, um, until, like, the sixth form. Um but yeah, it's been nice. It's been nice that I don't really know any other way, to be honest. And it's yeah. not something that I'm always thinking of, but I imagine it has had a massive impact in my yeah. life and probably Rachel's life as well. Yeah. Um, 
You see it with siblings who are really close in age as well and the bond that forms. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. It's been it's been nice and you know, obviously we music again was something that we were all consumed in growing up and same type of music and role models. And actually to be fair, she even played rugby when she was younger and supported Rhinos growing up alongside me and yeah, we. I think we. You know, we've we've had a good time of it. Yeah. Good time of it. Yeah. yeah. I've never really investigated it before, but I am. I've been no. Doing that. I mean, I've got so I've got two younger sisters, so mm. three years between me and the little one, and then six years between me and the youngest. So it's like three and three. Oh yeah. Um. So that's interesting. I'm, I think three is always quite an interesting number, anyway, because mm. one of you was always left out at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I th- when I think I think when there's more of you, you kind of sort yourselves out amongst yourselves a bit more. When yeah. there's four plus, I don't know. That's a theory, but uh, mm. yeah, we're all very, we're very different personality really? wise. Yeah, I remember me and my sister waitressed at the same place once, and we'd worked there for a month or two, and then someone realised clocked on we were sisters, and he was like. You don't even sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound the same. Yeah. But again, that that's sort of talking about like thinking that you have to be the same kind of person to get on. But no. And we haven't always got on at different points in our lives. And mm. it's really interesting that you go through similar, you go through the same family dynamics, you go through similar experiences, you know, similar school patterns. Mm. Um, but different but, rates. Yeah, different rates, and you're also different personalities. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's, how was your mechanisms for managing that changed over the years, or has it changed? Um, I think the age difference has quite a lot to do with it. So you obviously you have different relationships with each of them, with my middle sister and my youngest. Um, and with my youngest, the age gap of six years felt so huge growing up. So she was just starting secondary school and I was leaving to go to university. Mm. And I was going through a lot of my own issues at the time. And I think I felt I, I felt a lot of guilt for not being able to be there for her. Um, and then I physically wasn't there for her. Mm. Um, and it's only kind of recently as we both come into our 20s that, we've, you know, I've seen her develop into a wonderful person and adult rather than just my younger sister yeah. she's very much her own person and I love spending time with her she's great and mm. um my middle sister um she's uh she we, we had a difficult time because she was ill mm-hmm. um kind of growing up and that changed our relationship massively and it was very much the sister I knew then it com- completely changed and there were a lot of so, you know, it's hard, you know, it's quite a personal thing and I'm kind of aware that this is obviously going live and stuff. But, yeah, it felt like our relationship changed. It felt like parts of her personality changed mm-hmm. and there were just things that I couldn't cope with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I think I've always carried a bit of, I, well, actually, it was quite a strong boundary. I was like, I know I can't be I don't know so she she had anorexia Mm -hmm. so it's you know in some ways a bit different to kind of a physical illness where um you know it's still difficult and you have to you know going through you know say if it was cancer or something and you know the heartbreak and grief and everything with that but 
the still the person is still there whereas a mental illness can often alter someone's personality especially mm. something like an eating disorder can completely yeah. take over it's quite a strong grip on, on yeah. life isn't it yeah and it does change i mean i had bulimia when i was a teenager that's mm -hmm. where a lot of my issues stem from yeah um and even you know, through medical school was me recovering from that my later part of my teens and 20s was about recovery mm. and i feel very grateful that it's not an issue for me anymore. Food isn't an issue and kind of I've outgrown it in many ways and yeah. it's a very different person to what I was then. But I can relate in how something that has as strong as an eating disorder can change your personality mm. and change your interactions with people. And with M, she was very ill and she needed to go to hospital for a certain period of time and it, it changed the whole dynamics of our family. Yeah, yeah. Um, is quite sad yeah. in lots of ways but I feel like it's such a big big topic um eating disorders I think mm. it's so big and I just I don't think it's out there enough do you know I, I feel no. like it's there's so many professions that it's actually normalized in as well well I think you know most of the things we hear about are very extremes mm. I mean M was at the very extreme end when she was ill um but I know from my own experience then eating disorders can exist in lots of different forms and you can be functioning and you know you can be carrying on and it can be bulimia it can be mm. overeating mm. it can you know be binging it can be restrictive it can be over exercising mm. and they can just fit in with people's lives and go fairly unnoticed but what you're constantly struggling with is this feeling of insecurity of damaged self-worth and you know, trying to, struggling to get any kind of handle mm. or positivity in your life and yeah. trying to find that self-esteem. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, we couldn't go... <laughs> I yeah, I, I mean, really dive into that. The thing is, like, with mine, I'm very open about it. Yeah. You know, that was a big, a big thing for me. It was like my coming out, in a way, yeah. being open about it, which helped disperse all the shame that I carried. Yeah. And that shame... Um, impinged a lot of my time at medical school because I was like, well, if I'm studying to be a doctor, I feel a lot of shame for having had a mental illness. So, it, it, it's so annoying. I don't know if the stigma pushes you into that. It probably is. Probably is the stigma that pushes you into that perception or that, that sort of... Yeah, I think there's this... Along with your set path to like you know make it as a doctor and it's like this is something that's in between that do you yeah. know it's like it we have this vision of a doctor i mean i don't know where the vision comes from a quite old archetypal you know stoic um mm. emotionless together professional mm. um but then we do a very human job and actually yeah. you know i'm incredibly grateful for everything i learned from my eating disorder because that's where my empathy came from that's where my understanding of vulnerability came from yeah. it's where my fascination with the mind came from mm. um and i think there is a place for it and i've certainly learned to get to a place where i've got my professional boundaries you know it's not something i discuss with patients but i'm very open to talking about it in this sense you know it's on my blog mm -hmm. um and i'm comfortable with it mm. um You've just got to be aware of whether other people are going to be comfortable with it. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's been a daily project. But, yeah, I've kind of, I've got to a better place of knowing who does and doesn't want to talk about it. It's weird. It's weird to think about, you know, the concept that we're talking about is relationship. 
Um, and you mentioned especially sort of like finding it, finding love, finding that romantic partner is luck and timing. Mm. What goes into that luck and what goes into that timing? I'd say most of it's out of your control anyway. You know, like I'd say mm. a lot of that is what underpins it is conditioning genetics, mm. how you act in the world, the consequences of, of steps that you take in the world yeah. to bring you to that person. I, I carried all this shame and blaming myself for my eating disorder yeah. and I'm not mentally strong enough, etc. where it actually, it made perfect sense in mm. the circumstances I was in at the time. Mm. Um, tied in with, I mean, you know, we could go on about how it kind of tied in with you know, wanting to be worthy, perfectionism, you know, it helped me study at school, which sounds kind of perverse, but that kind of hunger kept me on edge. Yeah. Kind of, because I was restricting my food intake quite severely, and then there'd be moments when I'd get so hungry that I'd eat and then feel guilty, so I'd purge. Mm -hmm. But that kind of bit of hunger kind of gave me this edge of this kind of, to study, and, yeah. and made everything really in line and perfect, mm. and it kind of helped me function. I was dysfunctionally functioning uh -huh. just enough, uh -huh. where it was a way to cope with problems, mm. um, but also just fitted in with yeah. kind of the circumstances of my life at that point. And that's where that's where sort of like you've not. Well, we speak a lot about choice, but you almost don't have a choice in that matter. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not... We're mm. talking about mental health. It's, you, you've not chose to function in that way and to get to your goal in that way. It's something that's been squeezed out of all those experiences where you saw the comfort in having that job and that goal and that lifestyle. Mm. And... It's just the tactic, you've fallen onto that tactic, you know, and it's like so much about life is that, so much about relationships is that. It's it's almost being more aware of it and becoming more aware of the <laughs> the the gap between imagination and reality as well. Yeah, and you know, in my imagination I was thinking this is this is a requirement for me to be you know, good enough, um, worthy enough, you know, an acceptable form of a woman, you know, beautiful, mm. pretty, yeah. thin, etc. Yeah. Um, this, you know, and I developed a very toxic relationship with myself. It's like... Shit, my alarm's gone off. What's like... Um, most things... Like, you don't... Fuck, I forgot my train of thought now. That alarm's just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like most things, I guess. I guess you... Um, you fall into a, a certain tactic. But the momentum of you falling into that and the reason of you falling into that, a lot of it's, like you say, hammered home to create the expectations of yourself, of your pursuit by external influences, yeah, you know? And yeah, and yeah. And I was really vulnerable at the time because I was, you know, a teenager, I was 14. Mm. And 
and you enter into that and for a while it works and then it becomes completely unsustainable and I think I just got to a point where I said I do not want to be this sad anymore Mm. I feel so lonely I just I want I, I want better I think there's better out there and it was then you know recovery took a while it took a long time and I didn't actually seek any professional help with it um so yeah, but by the time I came to therapy, I, I, I was well out of my bulimia, but then still struggling with kind of the leftover anxiety from that. Um, but I think, you know, it taught me that there's always hope that you can redefine your own narrative. And just because things are, the, are this way now, it doesn't mean they have to be. Yeah. And it kind of, yeah, it kind of gave me, it activated me into saying, you know, you're the driver in your own life. You think it's like finding out that that expectation's not worth it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you think everyone has to do that to a degree? Yeah. Because you only have so much knowledge growing up, don't you? And there's so much, you know, do you have to exhaust it to understand that that's not the actual thing that is going to make you feel satisfied? I think you've got to define your own values. Mm. And I hadn't really, you know, ever considered that at that point. And... Yeah, I think I just, I don't know, I, why that thing? Mm. Because it just fit, made the most sense at the time yeah. for whatever perverse reasons. And it just slotted into my life. Yeah. And I went to a school where eating disorders were quite rife. Really? So yeah. Completely. And, you know, I think... It's almost normalised a little yeah. bit. You know, shocking yeah. still, but... And it's not as simple as you see someone else with an eating disorder and you get an mm. idea. It's not like mm. that at all. It's it's like a language of how to cope with sadness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, the, the, you know, the this is why we have these conversations, I guess, and this is why understanding neurology and understanding even neuroscience, you know, I'm talking to a doctor and, you know, understanding what makes us up for who we are, how that lifts the shame almost, that takes away the shame, doesn't it? And it's like a ticket to, like you say, I've got a choice. I can can understand where I'm at and redefine my values. You know, you say redefine, but it's defining that those values are sort of always going to be ever present when you're growing up. So it might shift and might change. But, Knowing, knowing them, and then knowing how to act from them, is really important because we live in a world where we just constantly like, and everyone falls. People sleepwalk into it, but we're just constantly not satisfied with whatever moment that we're in. Yeah, you know, we just live in that world where. Wanting more. Wanting more. Getting to a I moment where that's... it's like, I've had my main meal, but I want dessert now. Yeah. I feel I feel pogged now. I've had dessert. I just need to get on the sofa. Well, that's and that, the eating disorder tied in so much with that because it was like, yes, okay, I've lost this much weight, but I want to lose more. Yeah. And just this constant, you know, the sky was the limit with, to, you know, how far, not you know, not just in terms of thinness, but prettiness and perfectionism and mm. yeah. And the it was all drive. An illusion. Yeah, it was yeah. all an illusion. Like what? What was? What? There was no end goal. <laughs> yeah. 
Or, or if, if I thought there was an end goal, it wasn't attainable, it wasn't realistic, or it just wasn't there. And who was I doing this for? Because mm. it wasn't serving me mm. anymore. Mm. So. Yeah, the hamster wheel. Yeah. But anyway, back to relationships <laughs> and family. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Because my, because bulimia is, you know, it sounds awful, but I wasn't as thin as my sister got mm. to. Hers was very visibly noticeable. So mine kind of went under the carpet a uh-huh. lot more. Um, and in some ways... Uh, you know, I was, uh, although I felt very, very alone at the time, and part of it was wanting love and attention from my family and people to notice me. Um, not in, is it a narcissistic sense? Not, not. It came from a place of insecurity and sadness more than yeah. anything. Um, and then when I realised that that just wasn't working, it was like, right, well, you've got to get yourself out of this now. Yeah. So, yeah. kind of made me very independent in a way and breaking new ceilings, mm. strengthen that though, and strengthen. Not being caught in that yeah. forever ending. Yeah, and and then illusion. that not being this defining feature of me, yeah. which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, you carry the shame with it as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So you mentioned the quote a little bit earlier, mm. but I want to bring it up because it's a great quote, and it is: "Human knowledge is never contained in one person. It grows from the relationships that we create between each other, and still, it is never complete." Humans are spiritual beings, which is why we seek transcendence, understanding and pushing beyond the boundaries of our limits of consciousness. It's why we are always striving. Relationships give insight into the different frequencies people operate on and all our unique experiences. They are our greatest tool in understanding the meaning, brackets, if any, of life. What have you got for that? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've 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 unconsciously covered a lot of that. I think I think we have. Unco- yeah, well, I think because I um I quit, I kind of paraphrased that quote earlier um when at the start of the podcast. So it's kind of recognizing how your relationships in your life and how they can influence your life and how we participate in them and what are we giving them to them themselves and we talked about family and I've talked about kind of hard times that I went through with my family but we've, I'm now at a point where there's there's been time and there's been distance and I can appreciate each member of family for the person they are yeah. and I think when we get so wrapped up in the thick of it with family we, we forget to see that and it's been wonderful especially with my parents I never you never really think about having a relationship with your parents as an adult Mm. but seeing them as their own people um and yeah um allows you to redefine them allows you know kind of each of you to grow um but kind of the spiritual thing with relationships so I mean yeah we're all that's seeking something more I don't know if it's more knowledge, like you say, meaning of life. You know, you can ponder the meaning of life forever and mm, I don't know if you'll get to the answer no. of it. And it's about knowing that your experience of the world is just contained to you. There's, and that is actually quite limited. Mm. Um, whereas when you have relationships with people, when you speak to people, you learn about 
experience from all walks of life and kind of the sum of that connection kind of just expand your view in the world so spiritually it makes sense um but also i think it it makes sense in the science evolutionary sort of theory of how we've come to evolve um in the way that like our brain must light up more and might must make more connections and give us more dopamine when we speak to someone and understand their life, their situation, the reasons for why they are where they are, their learnings, mistakes, and all of that, as well as shining a light on ours, on our own. Um, and that, you know, that is... You've got a roadmap there, haven't you? You know, like, it, it's like, why, why does our light... Why does our brain light up for these sort of interactions the way we're having now like my like my my brain's probably lighting up flipping all over the shop but like why does it it happen it, it, it's it's you know what we're talking about is the roadmap to a fulfilled more happy life you yeah. know and it's coming off that track of single-minded persistence um objective that you think is going to make you feel like you do in the moment of these conversations that we're having and this conversation that we're having now. You keep searching for it in something else, but if you just look at the science of it, if you look at the the notion of us being able to speak about ourselves and understand a paradigm that we've never even stretched across, a terrain that we've never even walked before then that makes you feel better doesn't it well yeah and it keeps you striving it keeps you learning yeah. and you can't walk across every single terrain in your lifetime mm. so by having connections and relationships with people you'll get insight into different worlds yeah and it's like sometimes it can be so complex mental health and but when you just put it in that you know the concept of actually just speaking to someone like you know getting counselling or speaking in groups with other people and it's that segue into understanding more about yourself and other people and <laughs> new neural pathways in your brain yeah. neuroplasticity it's like it a lot of it is quite simple isn't it well yeah having a conversation having a conversation <laughs> have a good conversation listening mm. investigating being curious. Being curious. And curiosity is one of my favourite qualities in people. Yeah, curiosity. I'm a doctor because I'm also quite nosy. So. Yeah, <laughs> you need to be a relational therapist, <laughs> something like that. But yeah, it, it's, it, it boils it down to opening that up, you know, a, a section in the evolve journey to evolve that, that, that we've sort of created is a big stage is opening up yeah. and that doesn't just mean oh, I've got to speak to someone and um, tell them about how I feel all the mistakes like it, it's such like that such like a minuscule part of it it's actually opening up to a bigger world and yeah. a possibility to be happy and understanding what that is and you get pushed you get sort of pushed in in, in evolved to think about things that you never thought about before 
um, to understand being others oriented, to understand what actual the ingredients are of being fulfilled in life and trying new things. That's such a big thing. That's such a big part of it. Yeah. Um, and we're doing that for people. We're oh. taking them on that track. My counsellor was actually through it was with Evolve, so really? there's a nice little coincidence. What? <laughs> that is a coincidence. I think I've just blown Stevie's mind. Cool and kidding, yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. My mind's gone again. <laughs> but that's interesting. That's very interesting. And I think it was being open. I mean, I remember, you know, my first session with her, I was incredibly guarded. I was judging her left, right and centre because... Mm you are trusting someone with so much of yourself, this stranger. Yeah. But there's something really precious about that space and it being a professional setting, them having professional boundaries. Mm. They don't know you. It's not about them liking you or, you know, you've entered into a very unique relationship. Mm. And, you know, it opened up my life and my mind in ways that I did not expect. And... You know, she, I thought I needed some tough love. I thought I needed someone to be like, snap out of it, Imogen, you know, get on with medicine. But no, she was so compassionate. She listened to all the different facets. And yeah, she, yeah, she, it was our relationship between each other that brought about a lot of the healing, like I said before, um, as well as the relational aspect to the therapy. We haven't spoke about relationship with self. Have we? No. <laughs> I, think <that's> where, <laughs> I think that's where we're going. Um, but the way that I sort of see into that, after speaking about opening up, um, which is just scary, isn't it? It's scary. Mm. You know, you're opening up to someone, you know, a little part of it is you're opening up to talking about your life and wanting to understand more about it. But then also opening up to possibility. Um of a new world but also of a new version of yourself like but then that scary thing called change comes in doesn't it that's when you're yeah. almost saying goodbye to a relationship with yourself that you've that's evolved and you've created and that you've practiced for such a long time but when that doesn't feel like it's fulfilling you or sustaining you anymore that's when you open up to a new relationship to, with yourself and I think that's why Maybe this is why quite a few people aren't ready for therapy or are resistant to therapy because, you know, the prospect of that change and that vulnerability is so alarming and, you know, threatens to shake what may not be working that well, but it's something they know yeah. and we're comfortable with what we know. Mm. Um, and you have to be prepared to be open and to be vulnerable and to be honest mm -hmm. and to be really honest with yourself and to understand your flaws and your mistakes. And I think that was such an important part of my therapy was that I was like, right, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest here. Mm. And could be in a way that once it was spoken about, it wasn't met with judgment. It was, and then suddenly it's like, I'm not this awful person that I've yeah. got in my head. You know, all the deep dark things that I'm keeping back actually they're okay and I can I can be okay with myself because this person in this room is also okay with me. Mm, and that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, a tricky terrain to go across in it, but it's, yeah. 
but there's fear in that, there's risk in that, there's vulnerability in that. Yeah. And it fully is exposing yourself to that change. And a lot of people, a lot of people um, are, a lot of people are unhappy, but they don't take that risk to have tried something and then be unhappy as well from that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and therapy can make you feel shocking in the yeah. first few sessions. Yeah. Yeah. I think it took three sessions or so for me to feel... Like you were in that yeah. place. Because you're dragging... I uh-huh. mean, I was dragging up a lot of stuff that, mm. for the most part, I'd been through and I'd processed and moved on. And, you know, that's it. I was like, always move on, move on with my life and yeah. get to somewhere where I'm stable and independent and I'm functioning okay, etc. But I still feel trapped and I still don't feel like I'm calling shots in my life. Yeah. And it changed all that. Victor Frankl said, if you cannot change the situation, you have to change yourself. Mm. So that's, are you changing yourself or are you just changing the relationship with yourself? Well, yeah, it's like, if you can't do anything about the situation, change the way you think about it as well. Yeah. It's a similar vein. Yeah. Yeah. Okay guys, so just a little interlude here. I want to tell you about a year where I struggled to sleep. I struggled to sleep because I got burgled twice. The first time they fish hooked for my keys through my porch letterbox, got the car keys, drove off in the car. The second time I'd left the house without my car, they had broke into my house again to find my car keys. But instead they took my grand final ring from 2017. I was gutted, I was gutted. And you know what I did? I rang UK Red Security. These guys are a leading UK company specialising in systems to suit commercial, fire and security needs. Mine, Rob Burrows, a lot of the other lads as well use these guys. So whether you're looking for a burger alarm or CCTV system for your business, a comprehensive fire safety system or 24-hour cover to respond to security alarms at your premises, at your house, it's class. I've got an alarm which I can set on my phone, I can look at the CCTV on my phone up to date even when I am not in the house. These guys will certainly help you out. I want to thank you for helping me sleep again and I also want to thank them for the continued support for Mentality. Cheers guys and let's get back to the show. Wow, yeah, we were... uh... I like that. We've had such a good chat there. We have. Haven't we? And I think I've got another thing to say on, it kind of ties back into love and romantic relationships. And I think there's a famous RuPaul Drag Race saying of how do you expect anyone to love you if you don't love yourself? And I don't think the goal is necessarily loving yourself. It's about Mm. accepting yourself and understanding and bringing that self-understanding. Because if you can bring that and with your vulnerability, you know, so many different relationships can then unfold. Yeah. Yeah, knowing yourself is a big, big part of it because otherwise you get lost along the way and, you know, perhaps you need them them moments of losing yourself to to know fully what it is and how that contributes and how you are congruent with yourself and go out in the world. Boom. Thank you very much for that, Imogen. That's been an incredible, incredible conversation. Um, 
we knew it'd go around about the houses, didn't we? We knew it'd go somewhere. <laughs> There's a lot to cover. <laughs> There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. But Imogen's, you know, such a good friend of mentality and um, has been ever-present, really, since being back in the day and when mentality was understanding what the hell it was, really. You know, starting out, there was a mission and part of that mission was to understand a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now, which when I put it out there, I had no idea about all this stuff. I had no idea about, I mean, anything, do you know? <laughs> and I mean, it's to go back into it, but it was a question I was going to ask earlier about all that vulnerability and being, you know, thinking about your relationships, being involved in romantic relationships, putting love into friendships. How is that as a man when you may have been conditioned that that isn't necessarily a role as women you know it's acceptable to be nurturing and caregiving yeah yeah what's your take that's on a that good question <laughs> that's a good something i've had to um i don't think you learn it i think you just allow it mm. i think you just uh have less you know nat's said to me so many times since um i've retired that i've just been freely able to just express that side you know yeah, the softer side the softer side yeah um, the softer side of stevie is lovely by is the way, it guy. it's lovely to go for a coffee with yeah I, i'm I you know i enjoy that i enjoy <laughs> that i enjoy the the softer coffees he can play rugby yeah and he can have a nice deep chat as well yeah but i think yeah i mean i'm just fucking i'm so deep it's ridiculous um but yeah that that, that softer side which makes people squirm softer i don't know i don't know if it's softer or if it's just more rooted and allowing because i think everyone's got a soft side or yeah it's quite um a, a narrow way of looking at it isn't it yeah. hard, hard or soft. soft yeah it's it's putting it into the absolute thing again but just you're right it's more kind more of compassionate more yeah kind of um, gentle, uh, and I can't less judgmental yeah, as well. Yeah. I think, and I can't have relationships with people who aren't kind. Mm, so yeah, I, a, I that's the thing I need. Yeah, I don't think I can to be honest. Mm. Um, and I prefer relationships with people that can take off on the rocket ship and talk about conversations and, and subjects that we've we've had now. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a there's that that centre to everyone. I think you're just moving closer into um, what's the least squirmy way to put this. Closer into living from your heart and your authentic self and loving self. You know, I think that's what it is, and you just strip the barriers away. Um, but that's a great question. That's a really good question, and that'll tell you tell you all about that. And because that's what inspired me to get into mentality was, I think I you know I was foolish to um, kind of swept up in that men and women are very different, and men mm. are kind of harder or you know deal with problems in different ways and don't think about the deeper stuff, the more compassionate stuff. When actually what I've learned through mentality is that there isn't that much difference between men and women there's a human 
understanding and compassion and we all want to be loved we all want to give love um and we're capable of both those things mm. um and it's mentality's message is, is allowing men to not be afraid of that yeah yeah 100 percent. and uh you know in a way there's something that muhammad ali said that i watched not so long ago but I think he would be an ass. Look, you know, look, you, you talk about um, peace and you talk about love and you talk about all these messages and, and that it's not about material objects, it's not about possessions. But then you, you drive around in a Rolls Royce and you, you know, you, you, you've, you've got all this money. And he says, well, they wouldn't listen to me if I didn't do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No one's, no one's going to listen to someone who, who, who has... Um, I don't know people listen to the Dalai Lama. People listen to monks and they wear sheets, so. But, yeah, that's true. But only a certain amount of people do. Yeah. Do you know? People aren't going to listen to. People who are into boxing aren't going to listen to the Dalai Lama because it's not, not anything to do. But if there's a, a stepping stone like Muhammad Ali to that way of life, then they will listen to Muhammad Ali. And you know what? I wouldn't have listened to you and, unless you'd done a feature in the Times. Well, exactly. Because I'm a bit, you know, that's yeah. the newspaper I buy every weekend. That's where I get a lot of kind of ideas and that sort of thing. And, you know, I don't know anything about rugby. That wasn't um, like a translatable route for me. No. So. And it took, to get in the time, it took status and achievement yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And, but, and then, you know, going on to that point, I, I just think I got to a stage where the probably the gap between reality and expectation was just so hard for me so many times with injuries and i was just like well, what the fuck's it all about do you know like, well, what's point yeah. well, what's po oh yeah i can pretend that i'm living such a happy life because i've got status and um i've achieved this and that's what everyone wants you to think and the the narrative that everyone wants to believe in but we want true you know i was fucking depressed um, so many times they're like there's something that needs to happen there's something that needs to change here like I can't keep living this no, it's not fake but it's just this false narrative false, that's out there not that yeah. you've necessarily put it out there but that's what the perception is expectations mm. the, f the expectations of, of yourself and, and everyone else around you um I remember saying to someone, I put my tally out there and I was 22, 22 then. <laughs> and it still so, looked very professional, I have to say, yeah, from the get-go. Well, that's Dom, that. You know, that's Dom, the how. Sleek, <laughs> a sleek, well-looking man. has <laughs> made uh, my tally look well-looking as well, which is a bit like that Muhammad Ali thing. You know, people only listen to it all. Yeah, so, I mean, there's value in those things. You, I think it's okay to to accept that you know and I yeah. like my luxuries in life as well and mm. you are drawn to polish and yeah. status etc and you know without the status I have, a, I have as a doctor there's so many things I wouldn't have achieved mm. or so many conversations I wouldn't have had yeah um yeah so it all, it all plays its part it all mm. plays its part not not one thing's worse than the other not one thing's better than the other no I just think a mix of all of them respectively is, is good. And what you use it for as well, because you were able to kind of see the status and 
you know, the image of rugby, etc., and then use it to drive mentality mm. and to show a different facet of yourself. Yeah, yeah, which... You weren't passive in that relationship. No, you I were very active. I was very much like, here we go, love. This is, this is our time. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we build her. Um, but yeah, it's been a journey. And I didn't, as I say, I didn't know any of these topics existed. And I didn't know any different approach to life existed. I remember being really depressed. Um, really, really depressed. Um, at an England training camp um, in 2016. So depressed. Um, just for many different reasons, I think, that put me in that place. Um, but, yeah, you talk about, like, the opening up. That's when the opening up was needed for me, you know. I needed to see another possibility and another experience or the existence of another way to live life um which is what i think people get when they come on to evolve when they pluck up the courage to do it and they bring themselves in to evolve and spend time with us and see that that is the the way to go and the way to investigate at the very least and the way that people or what people find from counselling as well, you know, that it, it, it opens up another world to them and opens up another way to live life. Mm. Um, but I remember being so depressed, so down that, that, that time, that moment in my life. But I can remember watching different videos, piquing my interest with different things that, I think Jim Carrey talking about life and someone called Eckhart Tolle who talks about presence and the, the power of now and all of these different characters that, that sort of just started coming into my life and I never thought to live life in the present right. it were always about the next thing or the thing that I'd done and to like achieve you know I was in England I needed to play I needed to win. it was just always to achieve and, and, and to win and to win in any sense of the word, whether that's win with trophies, recognition, status, women. Um, that's, that's, oh, next thing, just next, next, next thing on that treadmill. I never thought to live in the present moment. And I'm like, I dipped into that present moment. I remember one morning watching a video, as simple as watching a video on it. And I'm like walking, walking around and I could be my knees swollen up I'm going to do non-players training this is going to be so hard why am I here what am I doing I'm not going to get picked but I walk and I'm like can I look at you're like autumn time I'm like I never looked at a tree like <laughs> like noticed how beautiful a tree was and yeah. noticed how amazing connections with people could be these these short these um, grounding things. Grounding things, superficial, transient moments. I'm like, it just opened me up to another dimension, <laughs> do you well, know? I think that was, for me, recovering from an eating disorder started when I started running. I'd never been mm. into exercise before. And originally it was a way to lose weight and to keep skinny, etc. But then the elation I had with 
you know, with exercise, with being outside, with noticing the change in the seasons, the fresh air and those small details, that was such a powerful thing in terms of me just letting go of my eating disorder. Mm. It was a really big part of it. And it was just helping me to ground me in something that was just nourishing, you know, in mind, body and soul. Yeah. And like a stepping stone Mm. into another reality that you're living in, another perception of reality, another rule book yeah i found such guideline. peace peace with it mm. <sighs> yeah i knew we'd go skew with on that <laughs> but we've definitely i mean we've covered it just shows how big that topic is you know relationships yeah. it just shows how if you look for it in life it is the it's the foundation it is, it is one of yeah. the foundations to having a good life and it ties in with love and it's so expansive mm-hmm. yeah. and we've talked about how it can't contain be contained inside one person yeah do you think you'd be interested in um, helping the women's part of mentality do you know what I mean what's the women's part of mentality well it's mentality it's <laughs> yeah womanality um but I, I'm just you know from Thursday club we've had so many ladies come ladies isn't the right word women don't like ladies we've had so many women that come that puncture into that present moment they puncture into that feeling of connection um, peace, you know, um, excitement and, you know, cold water swimming, bit of risk, bit of fear to get on the other side where you go, oh, that was good. I've never done anything like that. Do you think that you'd want to be involved in, in something that brings out everything that we're talking about, opens up the connection, opens up the, the, concept of fulfillment and the stepping to stepping stone towards it yeah um would that be something that you'd be interested in yeah depends on what capacity depends on my own personal boundaries and how much i have to give yeah um i don't think it'd have to be i just i just think it's a it's a moving train that doesn't take much digging it just takes jumping on and yeah, I mean being a part of it. One of my, I guess my skills are is you know I love writing for mentality and obviously I've got my blog, um, mentalscale dot com mm. for, for the plug. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you know having those conversations with women and if they want to be kind of written about and yeah. talked about and kind of that's what I love and it's why I'm in medicine is telling people you know understanding people's stories and Mm -hmm. writing is then recycling that so yeah I mean I'm always happy to be involved I feel like I've I've done a proposal (laughs) different type of proposal I'm not sure if I'm committing yet I'm not sure what I'm committing to that's a good answer but it's you know it's very open it's been in my mind to you know to you know we've got Natalie's there and, and Hannah Campbell's been you know instrumental in 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 sort of the group and um you know what we wanted to create and 
yeah, I'm just like, mm, it's what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? So it's just, it's just a question, um, yeah. and it's just a consideration. I think that 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 may manifest or not manifest. Well, I'll always be involved, so yeah, you can always ask. Yeah, I'm always curious to yeah. to see where it goes, and yeah, well, hopefully, you never know. Um, obviously, I'm qualified as a doctor now, but I've still got a very long way to go in kind of what's going to happen with my career and what I'm going to become and which psychiatry maybe possibly yeah therapy the options options are limitless the options are limitless um, and we will bring the options of further conversation to a close now Imogen because <laughs> we'll be doing the longest one we're competing with John Bell the longest <laughs> podcast um, this is the closest I'm ever going to get to Joe Rogan so yeah <laughs> yeah well do you know what that's you need to put that into your imagination because who knows who knows don't I'll write send, that I'll off. send this off. <laughs> Don't write that off. Yeah, send it off. But um, what a conversation. Thank you so much. And just before we've almost we've almost sold mentality there. I don't know if we have or not, but if you want to get involved in Evolve, if you listening want to understand yourself a bit better so that you can live a better life, live in congruence, connect with people properly and contribute to the world if you've got a deep call and a deep yearning to do that um and you've got that shifting gear to move towards life like that um which still involves success by the way it doesn't mean that you um you don't you are you are succeeding in life it means that you can move from success and emptiness to success and fulfillment and love. And love. Expansive love. Expansion <laughs> of your mind and the world around you. You know what to do. John Bell is the counsellor at Mentality and you can get in touch with him by going on mentality.co.uk. You can get on the wait list for when Evolve opens up again too on the same website. Check it out. Peace. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, um, my website is www.mentalscale.com. I'm at mentalscale on Instagram. Um, there's also a contact page on the website as well. Just you watch where this mental <laughs> scale goes. It'd be flipping. I need a how. I need a dom. Yeah, you do need a how. You do need a how. Um, but yeah, mental scale, just watch that space and the constant weighing of opportunities that that scale's bringing into life. Thank you. Just want to shout here to Matt Morris. He is a sponsor. He's a supporter of Mentality. He's, he's a really, really big believer in what we do. The message that we put out there, the message to go beyond stigma, the message to cultivate and um, to use mental health and to utilise mental health. He's over on the other side of the world. He is the director of Morris Infrastructure. So thank you, Matt, for being such a supporter. You are a good bloke as well too, mate, which, which always counts. talking about so we talked about music and mm. how um when you meet your heroes there's often this disconnect because you know so much about them you yeah. felt so much for them and I've had it with writers that I've met at book launches you know I've read all their work and I'm you know you know them in a really intimate way but then they don't know you mm. and there's this real disconnect um and that's why they say don't meet your heroes because in real life they may disappoint you. You've invested so much emotion into them. Mm. And I, I kind of wanted to ask if that was the case with you and fans with rugby and what that relationship was like. 
Yeah, so the fear that came out of it um, and what goes with that, the fear of, I think, but this is by, side by side with that, is the fear of, and this is going to sound really egotistic, it's going to sound really sort of shallow and, and like I'm so self-absorbed, but the fear, I think, in relationships with women was just that they wanted to be with me because of uh, I was a rugby player, mm. you know, and that's so many like you'd go out, you'd go out drinking, you'd go out. Um, it's even a thing, you know, between rugby players that like if they went on Tinder or whatever, they'd have the profile photo of them playing rugby, you know, <laughs> so that attracts women. Obviously, women are going to be more likely to speak to you. Yeah, but like you'd get hammered for it. You know, if you if you if you put a profile picture of you playing, I remember back into my younger days. If you did that, or if one of your mates did that, you'd rip them because it's like, I don't know, because it's like, are oh, you using that as a tool, or you're using that to, you know? And then it just sits alongside the fear of me, a real big fear that has has, has been present growing up, which is sort of, it's. it's what would you say? It, it's sort of um, accentuated by stuff like that. Is, it is, a, is the fear that someone wants to be with you just because you're a rugby player? And is it then a fear that they won't like you for you or that they only like you for status? And what sort of person are you then attracting? Yeah. Someone who you worry is shallow or narcissistic or then expects certain things... Definitely. That aren't in line with your needs or desires or expectations. Yeah, definitely. I think like the the fear comes that you're only just off the, um, the fear comes with the, the fact that you're only desired just because of the status mm. and not because of who you are. Um, and I guess that's an automatic fear response <laughs> for growing up in a world of social media and stuff um, that you venture into a shallow type of relationship and that imagination and reality gap is defined on what they expect the life to be with a rugby player you know whether that's the glitz and the glam whether that's the status you know that that's sort of a fear thing for me I don't want that life you know I don't want that I want I want real connection. I don't want something that's hung on superficial um, factors. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm guessing you saw that happen with other rugby players. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very present part of that world. Because mm. it is glam... Well, my perception of it is that it is glamorous. Mm. Um, and it's attractive. Yeah. You know, it's, attract it's an attractive lifestyle and it looks, obviously, to the the, the cameras that are there... Uh, and what you, the spotlight is showing you that it's it's attractive and it's glorious and you know and me and Nat joke a lot of the time <laughs> a lot of the percentage of my career when I've been with Nat is a bit of glory but then a lot of it around it's been hard yeah. injuries recovering not being able to walk not being able to walk in a straight line with my brain you know it's like the reality that's the reality mm. compared to the imagination of, of what that brings 
And I wonder, even when you do attract the people who look for the glamour and the glitz, when they are then actually faced with the reality of being with an athlete, of the training and the commitment and the injuries and the emotions that go in with it and the fact that you have to give yourself Mm. to your career in this all-consuming way, how they are then going to handle that if they came in for the veneer of it rather than... Rather than the full depth of it. Mm. Because a lot of times with athletes, you find that it's not just the athlete that sacrificed themselves fully to it, but a lot of the time, partners, Mm. girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, they need to fully devote themselves to that lifestyle too. That's a really big ask of somebody as well. You know, as someone who my own career is so important to me and bless Ben, but I guess he's had to fit around me in lots of ways mm. when I was, you know, going through exams and night shifts, etc. So for me to have then been in that mentality to bend that around something even more consuming, mm. that's a big ask of somebody. Yeah, yeah. And life's like, life's full of shiny things, you know, mm. an attractive thing, the polished thing we spoke about. Um, and that's what can catch your eye and that's what can satisfy you in the moment. And But it's also what can derail someone as well, you know, yeah. away from the depth and the life that they want to live. Yeah, because you, from what I know about you in that, I mean, she's doing her psychology master's, she's a dancer, she's mm. very much got her own life and yeah. is, you know very smart, wonderfully expressive, very kind. And you've managed to rub alongside each other in a way that allows for both of you to have room to grow. A hundred percent. And that's one of the things that we're always a non-negotiable in our life that sometimes, you know, especially my brain injury is is had to peel away from sometimes and non-negotiable of each of us having our own Mm. journeys and lives and pursuits and values and all those things that allow you to be the right person, the strong person on your own, which you can come together, as you say, to to rub off against each other and to support each other's journey Mm. without being fully collapsed into each other. And I think, you know, especially last year when I was retiring and I had a brain injury, I didn't know what was up, what was down. You know, Nat had to tell me the way it was a lot of the time, and yeah. she had to support me at a level that she never will have ever supported anyone, yeah. I can imagine, um, because a lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people don't understand the brain injury until you live with it. No. Um, and it's, it's all well and good being it black and white, this is what it is, but it's perplexing for for. You know, you forget you have it and you're acting from an injured brain, you know, which is mental, it's dangerous. I know, and I've seen times where, um, like, you get really into, when we do the Thursday Club, you get really into the workout Mm. and you get really excited and you start jumping up and down and that's like, Stevie, no, you're going to give yourself a headache. So just having that someone who can really see as well. And to tell you what's right and, and to stop you from, you know, part of the brain injury um, symptoms is confusion, do you know? Yeah. And 
in the early stages there was so much confusion um, and a lot of confusion last year which was intersecting with grief and you know losing a big relationship to me in, in what was rugby and you know but she sees you I'm, I'm putting words into your relationship here but she sees you as the full person yeah. so yeah she sees the illness she has seen the rugby and all that but she also sees so much more and yeah. every kind of all the wonderful things all the niggles mm. um and i imagine that's the same with her as well and, for, and you really see each other yeah for Nat, she, she she sees the rugby side of it or she saw the rugby side of it and she thought quietly to herself i think she thought it was mental like you know like the 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 game what i put myself through the stress the pressure the yeah the injuries the readiness to just get operated on once every six months you know she came in to that relationship understanding it as a concept and as something that i did but she never rested her anticipation on our relationship on the fact that i was a rugby player yeah and that's what i did it was it was sort of secondary to who i was I don't know how much of a coincidence it is that you knew each other from school. Is that right? Yeah. So she's known you for a very long time, even if you weren't that close or mm. anything. And I just wonder if that alters the perception a bit or whether it would have been just the same if she'd come into your life midway through your rugby career. I think there was a perception that Nat had to get over when she met me. I think the perception of me from Nat's background and world that she's lived in in contemporary dance was that I was a rugby player and you can think of all the connotations of what that means uh, and and what practically it is um, but she coming from a contemporary dance background which is so different so so different to what I've lived in um, you know, a rugby player for, for Nat was, how far do I go into it? Um, Close-minded, um, set in the ways, um, not respectful, laddish, that's probably a good way to put it, laddish. And um, she had to, you know, from, like I said, from knowing me when we were younger, but not really knowing each other, just knowing of each other, she had to, tackle that part of her perception and imagination of me to get to what actually I was like, you know, the stereo, to get across the stereotypes, to get across the um, picture of, of what I was from social media or from what I did as a job, you know, and to get into more of a deeper understanding of who I was. And, you know, there was, a lot of the, the stereotypes, a lot of the perceptions, um, were true, I guess, in a way, you know, like the, so many different, so many different parts to me as a person and you are your environment as a whole, you know, you, you literally are your environment, your mind is your environment and there's so many different parts of me and there's so many different poles and so many different ways that were normal to live, mm. you know? 
and whether that's just getting operated on every six months or whether that's recovering to go out and unwaveringly go and smash your body about again, which is normal to me, yeah. not normal to Nat. There's other parts of being a rugby player, which is, is normal, um, you know, and those relationships I guess I've seen that, I don't, you know, relationship, what, what a relationship, you know? <laughs> the thing is, you were also young, you had your own thing. I think, I wonder, you know, a lot of guys have this, I don't want to settle down, I don't want to mm. be tied down. Um, and, you know, you're still figuring yourself out. Exactly, and yeah. you do take influence from the people that you're around. And, you know, I, I mean, I wonder, you know, that laddishness. You've got more opportunity to exercise that. Mm, I'm yeah. not getting tied down. I'm not settling. You know, yeah. there's, there's more. It's the paradox of choice almost. There's so many options and yeah, things that you can go and experience and do. Shall um, we talk about that laddishness? Because I think that's yeah. a really interesting concept. Mm. Um so when did you when did you and Nat get together, or when did you first kind of meet? Or st- how many? Twenty sixteen, we first started speaking. Um, it was actually in and around that depressed mode I was in. So that's like start of mentality almost. Well, similar. Six months into it, and oh, the reason yeah. for why Natalie reached out to me was because of mentality. You know, and we're speaking about it. She had a friend that was um, looking at doing their own online magazine and she was like, oh, I know someone who's done that. Let's Mm. have a look at that. And that's when she started reading it all and going, but I imagine going, oh, this isn't what what I thought he was, basically. Because I think, you know, my perception is that part of mentality was also unifying those own those stereotypes mm. that you didn't feel were quite congruent with who you were as a person yeah yeah i think so yeah and, and opening it up to not just being seen in in one way you know not everyone's the same person and that's what you talk about relationships being created on vulnerabilities and differences um but that's also how we not even spoke about relationships with teammates and no. in a team, but it's so neglected. Like yeah. you have coaches come in that think that a template for how a team plays on the field and how they carry out rugby is what wins games and what mm. breeds a winning culture. Well, that's that's literally just the output and that's just what's carried out. But if you, you get a, a team of people that can share their vulnerabilities and be authentically themselves with each other, and create proper relationships when you're going out to play with them it's like it is it is it is, it is yourself it is authentically yourself and yeah and you feel a community free. and freedom yeah. and togetherness and proper community yeah i mean my rudimentary understanding of sports but kind of the change that gareth southgate has had in mm. football and you see how much more compassionate that team is yeah. and how much better that they kind of gel alongside each other mm-hmm. um and i think for a long time it was really neglected yeah massively and, and you know in medicine it's interesting i moved through different jobs where i was basically rotor fodder no one really cared that much mm. in terms you know as long as you show up to work you turn up to your rotor fine but in my last job 
it was the one job I've ever had that still held on to the traditional firm structure. Mm-hmm. So there used to be firms in medicine where for the entire time you'd be on the same team, same consultant, same registrars, so senior doctors, yeah. same, you know, people of your kind of level as well. And you'd always move through it together. And yeah. Because of that, you had a responsibility to look out for each other and to make sure you're working well. And can mean you end up in a a, a bit of a, a rubbish team, or it mm. can mean you end up in a really good one. Yeah. And I was in a brilliant one in my job, and it helped me get through that job at a time when I was really burning out and struggling yeah. so much. And I have so much respect for my registrar who kept that alive, and she taught me so much about integrity and showing up for your team and showing up for each other, and. Mm. You know, she was just, she's incredibly kind, um, very well bounded at work and can really good at kind of seeing what's important and what isn't and where we should be focusing attention and energy. And she's a real leader. And mm. she taught me so much about all those qualities. Mm. Um, and yeah, she kept us all together and we're still in touch. Yeah. And that's something I really, really valued. And I wish there was more of that in medicine because I think it would help people come enjoy work more in a system that's really actually quite fractured now. I just don't get why it's so neglected. Is it mm. time? You're missing, you're missing the point, I think. I think you're missing the point when you, when you do that. Because it's not measurable and yeah. it doesn't look like it's got like a monetary value mm. or, or it's, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I seem to kind of go along down the line in stuff in medicine that isn't measurable or provable. You know, I talk a lot about connection and healing mm. and doctor-patient relationship and how those things are really important, but they're actually really hard to put into audit sheets and numbers yeah. and, and to prove that they actually have any effect other than people's perceptions. And the sort of, unless you ingrain it into your life, these esoteric concepts which you can't pin down and bring into a conversation easily. No. Um, pra- be practical about them almost. No, and my registrar was really interesting in that she said, I don't think you can teach integrity, mm. which I thought was a really interesting concept. You either mm-hmm. have it or you... I mean, I'm not sure I entirely agree, but I get where she's coming yeah, from. Yeah, you've got me thinking about integrity now and, and if you can. That's another time. That's for another time. It is. <laughs> That's for another time. But... That's definitely a hotbed for for teams. Whether you're on a um, doc team of doctors or a team of rugby players, it's showing up for each other. Showing up for each other, and it's other. the same in romantic relationships, etc. Yeah. And in not just the sense of turning up to work, it's checking in. You know, really seeing people, really seeing are they, are they struggling? What do they need help mm. with? Where can I give constructive feedback? How do we do those team building things of yeah. going out for coffee or... Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a, this conversation um, was definitely opening up. I'm opening up more in my life than I ever have done, I think. Um, and I guess only to change people's minds and open up their perceptions and open up their mind too. Um, but something that I talk about with Nat, <laughs> I guess, that rolled into her stereotype view of what a rugby player is and a rugby player um, involves themselves in but gets targeted with uh, the world they live in. I talk about, I talk to Nat openly about the reality that I was living in, um, yeah. the challenges. 
with the, the, the depression and the ups and downs and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd openly talk about the the that side of life. What was, um, I guess, what was happening for me. I'd talk openly and honestly about the ups and downs of it. The things that I guess you wouldn't expect, or that you know, pay, anyone paying a minute's thought wouldn't expect for a rugby player to go through. Mm. Um, and I'd also voice, you know, this is going really deep, but speaking to Professor Steve Peters, um, we're talking about the chimp and the role of the chimp, what it, what it sort of, a man's chimp would more, be more pronounced, and I guess a lot of that's territory and safety and, you know, all that sort of stuff, but also the sexual side of it and the yeah. mating side of it, talking in a chimp sort of term. Um, and like, it's, it's, it, it happens a lot less now, um, but like, I'd just, I'd be getting sent stuff. You know, like on Instagram. <laughs> this is where we're going a bit skewy. Not just Stevie's gay fans. Yeah. There's, Men and women. Yeah. A lot of gay stuff. But I'll be getting sent, sent stuff on Instagram, which is like, it's like, fuck, you know? It's like, what do, what do you do with that, you know? And it's like naked photos, images, video, like being sent to you. I mean, this is a sphere that you never imagine entering and no one really, yeah. I imagine no one warned you about it yeah. once you started getting into rugby. And I think, you know, I actually wanted to say this a bit earlier about that, but it shows a real strong sense of character Yeah. to be able to see that for what it is and not get jealous. And mm. the fact that we can have a friendship and I can be involved with mentality and she has always been so welcoming yeah. to me, yeah. never felt any hostility from her. Yeah. And I have so much respect for that. And yeah. I think that shows from my perception of it is that she has a really strong sense of self. The fact that she has her own thing going on, you know, with her career and mm. her interests, etc., gives her a strong sense of individualism. Yeah. And we've talked about those relationships where the dogmatic relationships, mm. where I think an insecurity plays a part in it because you're putting so much onus on the relationship and this person serving all your needs mm. um, that you get so fearful of losing them and the one way people fear losing them is you know cheating and so you need to all be almost bridged across other parts of your life to hold yourself up don't you really it's self-esteem yeah. i guess self-esteem and you know allowing space for that person to go out and not be like where are you mm. um mm. i need you home tonight and mm. that sort of thing and yeah, because uh, that immediately, that like, that takes my freedom away, yeah. you know? Like, we're talking about being free and doing what you want to do and being able to just do stuff, not because you're always wanting to go out and get pissed and... Flirt. And flirt, shag. yeah, like, all <laughs> that. Like, but it's just being, having your own personal freedom... Even yeah. if, if you don't choose to exercise that full extent of it, yeah, like it's a big thing. And I think that counterintuitively brings people closer together. Yes. I think me and Natalie have been forever being brought closer together because of how much we understand each other's situations, but also how much we understand how important 
being personally responsible, personally free to make your own choices. Yeah. You know? And you need to be able to do that. I mean, because I, I always say to Ben, I was like, I want you to go and see your friends and spend time with your friends without me there. Because mm. that's where the really good stuff happens and the important conversations and the connections you need. And yeah. I'm exactly the same with my friends. I need to be able to go out. Yeah. And for him not to be like, when are you coming home? I need you home now. Because that's resentment. Once you shut yeah. that off for others and they associate that being shut off because of boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever... That's when you go, that's when a, a shade of... Entrapment. Entrapment is, is, it comes across and resentment comes across your relationship with each other. Yeah. Um, and then I think you get relationships that almost that becomes the norm and then you get this codependency and this mm, insecurity and this jealousy thrives and then you get this game playing and yeah. that is how some of people's relationships function yeah. and it can be very toxic. Mm. So, I mean... Sounding like I know exactly the right way to yeah. conduct a relationship. Yeah. I don't at all. But this this is what makes me happy. It all comes back to that being the right person, doesn't it? And, yeah. and, and, and not trying to make someone else the right person. No, and not trying to force yeah. um, someone to be a certain way. Yeah. I've got another story. Go on. Story. Yeah, go on. So my first boyfriend... Um, he was really insistent that I wore trainers. And at the time, you know, I loved experimenting with clothes and fashion. I was, I was 18, etc. And like trainers were just not a thing at, <laughs> yeah. at that time. Um, it was like little boots and heels and whatnot, you know, pretending to be a grown up woman. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, I just, it felt like he was really insistent that I wore trainers and I should get a pair of trainers. And I was so defiant <laughs> yeah. about it. I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I don't want you molding me into a vision of you, like of your vision. Mm. And he was, you know, a fair bit older than me as well. Mm. Um, and I think it's part, you know, part of the reason our relationship didn't work out was because I need to become my own person. Yeah. And ironically, I wear trainers now, but I came to it in my own time. I'm wearing yeah. trainers today. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, yeah. That, but that's such a good example of the bigger bigger picture of it, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you know, we'll keep coming back to like that moulding of reality to what you think is the perfect, perfect thing. This is to be continued because I flapped around for half of an hour whilst talking about my sex life I was talking about quote-unquote laddish behaviour and um, I didn't do the whole subject justice and I didn't speak as much about as what I wanted to speak about and me and Imogen agreed that probably wasn't worth releasing that but also after speaking with Natalie, my beloved partner, I think it's worth giving a proper crack at this subject, at this topic, possibly with Natalie and Imogen and Mentality's mission is to go beyond stigma so that we can do the work and that we can elevate and upgrade ourselves to live a better life. And we hold conversations where it's all in the aim of improvement and moving forward. So I think this is a topic that we do need to speak about and discuss and chat about with some funny stories in there too. So instead of going on to the podcast folding in on itself over the last half hour we're going to try and record another version of it and a bit more of an open version of it and I want you guys to 
ask me some questions as well. It can be funny, can be inquisitive, can be stuff that you really want to know but you sometimes wouldn't think to ask. Um, so if you guys have any questions, if you guys want to put any questions to me about the single life, I guess, as a broad term for what I've lived up until I met the beautiful warrioress of a lady in Natalie, then you can um, you can give me a shout and Imogen may be an amazing lady to sit in on the conversation too. So without further ado, I'll leave you with that. Don't forget to rate Montality's podcast. Don't forget to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share. Please share. Please share us because we really appreciate it and it allows us to reach more people. It allows us to help more people and it allows selfishly me with a poorly head to keep doing stuff which I can manage and living on purpose and feeling like I'm on point in life. Bit of a to-do list for you, but also a bit of a preparation for an amazing podcast that we can make even better. Peace, guys. Love you all. I'll speak to you soon.